Welcome back, everyone, to the Wheel Every Weekend podcast, the world's best off-road podcast recorded in Julian, California. Period, yeah. Period, period. <laughs> uh, we just got back from the Rubicon a couple days ago. We've been back at work. It's been uh, kind of a hectic week. Yeah, but that's what happens when you uh, take a week off. Yeah, we were in a huge sale while we were gone, and we had, like, hundreds of orders when we came back, which is awesome. We're, like, so grateful mm-hmm. for it. But it's Thursday, Wednesday, mm-hmm. and we're still, like, shipping shocks, and I have to rebuild and ship out more shocks and stuff like that. So it's awesome, but also a lot of work. But the Rubicon was awesome. We yes. had such a good time. It was amazing. Yeah. The samurai was killer. It just cannot be stopped. It was unstoppable. unstoppable. I love it so much. Yeah. It's great. And it's your first time building a vehicle mm-hmm. and driving the trail. Yes. Yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we came in the Loon Lakeside and I drove all the way to the Springs and you drove back. Yep. And it's my first time flat towing a vehicle, which I yes. thought would be no big deal and easier than just like trailering it up. But then when you try and back up a vehicle that you're flat towing, I didn't realize it, but like, you know how, when you're backing up a trailer, you initiate the turn to get the trailer to kind of like move at an angle against the vehicle. When you're flat towing a vehicle, the front tires turn in that direction and then do not stop turning the entire time. (laughs) So like if you have to, you kind of like snake trailers over, right? Where you like, kind of initiate mm-hmm. the turn and then you make the vehicle kind of like match the trailer to even it out. That is not pass possible when you flat tow a vehicle. <laughs> it, it cannot be done. <laughs> you have to just go forward the yeah. whole trip. <laughs> you cannot go backwards. So I ended up just like, if I had to back it up, I would just have to like start turning it and then make the Tundra force the Samurai. I would just make the front tires go sideways with it. Which luckily is just the samurai, so you can, but still. True. That's kind of bad. So I think next time we'll have a trailer. Yeah, so that should be easier. Yeah, a lot easier. Maybe even a nice enclosed one or something. Although I will say, being able to trailer or tow your vehicle to the trail and back home is nice. Dude, this is our first time doing it. And at the end of the trail, everyone else was like fixing suspension and steering issues. <laughs> and we were just like, uh, I don't know. Let's turn our seat heaters on, warm yeah. them up. <laughs> yep. That was you. You turn the AC up to run your seat heater. I know, heater. I know. I was You're a little extra, but a little extra. I really like the Tundra. It's so nice. Yeah. <laughs> so comfortable. Towing the Samurai, we averaged 11.8 miles per gallon, which is not great. But not much worse than what it normally gets. So. Yeah, it gets horrible mileage. <laughs> it used to, I think it partially it has to do with me reprogramming the speedometer because before when you would correct for it it would get like 14 or 15 miles per gallon but this time it, it literally just gets 12 now um was i don't that, really know why i mean did it still get 14 or 15 with the with the bigger tires yeah it did mm-hmm. i think also too i added a trans cooler and when i did it i just like i don't think i filled the trans all the way so it's possible <laughs> we lost like three miles per gallon because the trans is underfilled by like two quarts um we should fix that yeah i think we will i tried to fix it today but i i took it to an oil change place and they were like oh we can't figure out how to get your skid plate off our sockets don't fit on it i was like dude you guys you can't undo four bolts they also didn't like where you put the power steering cooler yeah they were like oh we can't get the oil filter off 
It's like I, I literally put it there so you can get the oil filter off still. You're like, all right, I'll just do it myself. Yeah, I was like, okay, <laughs> don't do it. I'll do it at home. <laughs> Which, you know, a lot of people are surprised that we, we don't already do. But it's just... It's ugh. a pain, man. Yeah. And also there's like no good way to recycle oil. So I just have like 100 gallons of used shock oil here that I That's don't know true. what to do with. I just keep putting it in the lift. Which kind of worked out, but yeah, we're recycling. Yeah, only use like ten or fifteen gallons. It you take the oil out of the shock, put it in a bucket, you empty the bucket into the lift, and then the lift explodes the oil onto the floor, and then I wash that um, into the soil into where nature. we grow our fruit. Perfect. It returns to the earth it's whence it came. Circle of life. Yep, it's like the Lion King. <laughs> um. So, yeah, flat tone is nice, though. And the Tundra, I mean, you don't notice. I didn't even hit Till Hall or whatever, except downhill, so enough to use brakes. Because you can't still overheat your brakes on those grades pretty bad. Mm. So that is nice. I got some, like, meaty tone brakes on it, though. It was, like, some pretty cheap drilled mm-hmm. and slotted rotors from Rock Auto. And some, like, pretty aggressive pads, which are nice. It has a decent amount of um, brake dive in the front when you hit it too hard because it has the towing leafs on it. The like Deaver Expedition Pack, which I hate, yeah. but I also hate the Deaver Pre Runner Pack. So and there's I don't know nothing what to do. in the middle. No, absolutely nothing. Um, so the rear end is already sky high, so it kind of unloads and pushes the front. But also, you want some brake dive. That's how you get all your braking forces by transferring weight over the part that does the most braking. So there you mm. go. Yeah, that's why vehicles do that. And okay. if they don't, they're kind of dangerous on the road. <laughs> I mean, they're designed like that for a reason. So it was pretty rad, though. What did you do on the Samurai before we left? Like right before we left? Yeah, like a day. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, well, we did the power steering. We added that a while ago. So that wasn't like right before, which was, you know, it needed some work. What? It was fine, but I used Keon power as... I just found something that was 12 volt when the ignition was on, and it turned out to be the EGR which uh, cuts 12 volt power under certain circumstances, which was not great. (laughs) So I did get like a tap fuse thing, which I think are hokey and I don't use. Um, And then I added that in onto like the ignition circuit. It's the tap fuse thing though. If you install it backwards, you won't have fused power going to whatever you're adding because you will pull power before the fuse so you have to make sure the direction is correct so you have to like pull the fuse and check Uh. which side has power otherwise instead of having two fuse circuits you will then have one fuse circuit Mm -hmm. still but one circuit that isn't fused so if you have a short in like your steering system it'll kill the motor i see yep so Ian, Ian is the wiring guy because I just can't wrap my head around it. So he wired in the power steering, um, thankfully. And, oh, I swapped the power, st- I mean, sorry, the steering column. Yeah, that was key. Yeah, so unfortunately I did the power steering before doing the column, thinking that the column was fine and it's supposed to just be loosey-goosey sticking out of the firewall. But it's not. So... You realized that we needed to get a new steering column, and I was super worried that I would have to redo everything on the power steering install with the frame mount because it was going to sit differently wherever the column ended up. But it was fine. I mean, okay. 
I did use your muscles a little bit yeah. to bend the frame, just a teeny tiny bit. Did, frame did, mount, sorry. I did just whole cans the frame, <laughs> just bent it like a quarter inch, and then it was fine. But the issue easy, with the, the issue with the steering column is that at the end of the Prius electric motor that runs the steering, there is slip. That slip goes to a U joint, and then the steering column had slip as well. So there was slip on both ends of the U joint. So as you turn. The, the act of the U-joint being like at an angle wants to move both of them and they essentially move until they bind. So you can't have yeah. slip on both sides of a joint. Mm-hmm. It can only be on one. The other side has to be like semi-fixed. Yeah. It made a huge difference changing the, the steering was, column. Yeah. It was super key. Yeah. Um, still kind of hard to steer, but the assist is before the steering box. So mm-hmm. the issue is, is that if you, I could program an Arduino so that it gives it full assist right now it gives it assist as if um, I think the default is like 40 miles an hour worth of steering assist. I could program it. So it gives you zero miles an hour worth of steering assist, hmm. but with that amount of force going directly into the steering box, I think you just snap the steering box in half instead of just mm. not being able to steer when it's hard to steer. And then the steering box survives. Yeah. So I think it's easier on the box itself. Really what you need is hydro assist because then you're putting a ram on the tie rod and you're taking all the force off the drag link, pitman arm, steering box, etc., mm-hmm. And all the forces going directly straight into the tie rod side to side. And then as long as you're like tie rod, knuckle, whatever you have, kingpin, ball joint, trunnion bearing setup is good. You're good. Right. And you can steer like on the Rubicon with 40s, You, it's like one hand and you steer back and Super forth. Super easy, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're down to five PSI and you're bound up in the rocks and it's no issue and you won't break it. We did have, it was for being such a small vehicle, the turning radius on that thing is atrocious. It's horrific. It's totally unacceptable. It's worse than our truck with a 143 inch wheelbase. Right. And we have, what is the Samurai, like 80? Something, yeah, 82. and our truck has a welded front diff, and it has a better turning radius yep. than four-wheel drive. Yeah, so you have to be going a little bit to get the power steering to kick in, but it has, like, terrible turning radius. So that was, like, the probably the biggest issue on the trail. Yeah, it's atrocious. I don't yeah. know how it's so bad. It's, like, partially the Samurai axle doesn't do that much angle, and then also it has a Detroit in the front. And if I had done it, I probably would have put like maybe a, a limited uh, aggressive limited slip, like a Torsen style, some kind of like helical limited slip, mm-hmm. or even like um, you can do a clutch pack limited slip and just add twice the additive to make it more aggressive hmm. or something like that. And then at least you'd be able to turn a little better. But yeah. dude, the steering, it was miserable. We had the worst turning radius of anyone on the trip, including a 76 F250 on 43s. I know. They had a better turning yeah. radius than us. That's ridiculous. It was embarrassing. But with Toyota axles and hydro assist and selectable lockers, that thing, you just drive it in a circle. What I was going to say, I don't want to do a bunch of stuff to it until I get Toyota axles because that's pretty much the next thing I want to do. So I might as well wait to get that and then do the rest of the upgrades. Yeah. But, um, I am pretty happy with what we did and how it performed on the Rubicon considering, um, the rest of the installs that I did was the six and a half gears in the transfer case. Yeah. You've never done a rebuilt a T case before too, right? Isn't it kind of deceptively simple? It is. I was kind of dreading it. Yeah. Um, but it was, it, it totally makes sense. Yeah, and it's super easy, especially the samurai one because like it's so small, <laughs> yeah, it's so little. <laughs> I literally lifted it back into the samurai with one arm. 
Yeah. <laughs> just like shoulder pressed it in. <laughs> it's so tiny. I thought for sure I would have done some mm. stupid thing wrong in the gears and it would just explode the minute we got on the trail. But but it was fine. Yeah. Did and- we test drive the lower gears before? Um you drove it up our stump in the front yard. Oh, that's right. I drove it up the stump and then we were like, all right, good to go. Good to go. We had Check. literally driven the Samurai less than a half mile before we drove it on the Rubicon yeah. for four days. Not recommended, but it totally worked out for us. Yeah, it was fine. <laughs> the Samurai officially has more miles on the Rubicon than on the street in our possession. I love that thing. It's so good, dude. It's so rad. Also, it totally needed six and a half gears. If oh. you're going to rock crawl a samurai, you have to have six and a half gears in the transfer The case. like 4.9 to 1 or whatever, mm-hmm. they do not work. It's yeah. not even – it has 456s in the axles. Mm-hmm. And still, dude, it does not work. Yeah. It doesn't work. It was so – I'm so glad that yeah. we did that. That and the power steering were the two like key – oh, well, I also built sliders and put them on, which – Need to be reattached now. It got a little bendy, but they definitely served their purpose. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. It's we built the sliders out of 095 wall. I never use 095 <laughs> wall on a vehicle, but I was like, this thing weighs 2,200 pounds. I bet it's fine. And it was somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they definitely got some impact. Yeah. The most I'll ever do is I'll use like inch and three quarter 095 for gussets or stuff. But honestly, the weight savings just isn't worth it. To mm-hmm. buy a different stick and then use 095. And you can look up the properties of like different diameter and thickness material mm-hmm. and then size it appropriately. And I was like, dude, 2,300 pounds, inch and a half 095 ain't going to bend if you land this thing on it. I bet it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And it was, but the frame bent a little. It was the frame, yeah. The frame, though, was wavy. It was before. already, yeah. So I think we'll probably take a photo of it and size it in CAD and cut out a frame plate. Yeah maybe eighth or three sixteenths and then weld the sliders directly to that. Mm-hmm. And then I think it'd be Gucci. We also ripped off like all the plastic stuff. Oh yeah. They had this cool like door sill thing and the fenders and, oh, and the tires rub really bad. I also, <laughs> the axle hits the uh, gas tank skid plate, which we were just like, it's probably I, think fine. It, I don't think it does anymore. I think it fixed itself. Mm-hmm. But now the gas tank has lost like two gallons of capacity. (laughs) It was only a 10 gallon. I know. I think now it's like a seven. (laughs) What I'm thinking about doing is uh, just sticking the air nozzle in there and inflating it and seeing if I can pop it back out. So (laughs) if if we don't record another podcast, you know why. Uh, what else? We were going to do a bumper, but we ran out of time because the shackles in front pretty much act as a bumper. Dude, it has <laughs> dual front shackles. It has like a leaf spring block lift in order to fit, um, the YJ springs that are on it. And, uh, it's got dual front shackles and they just stick out like a chin. They're crazy. But also mm-hmm. as you steer the whole body twists on the shackles, it's pretty bad. Some of the kits, you can like pin the second shackle up for street driving, and then you like air down and unpin the shackles for rock crawling. Huh. That might be worth it. Yeah. Um, we, I would like to add a bumper at some point. So that's, it needs that's one, in dude. It's already got kind of crumpled. In the I know. But I'm, I'm, that's fine. I'm not trying to like keep it super clean. I want to wheel it and not yeah, worry about it. That's totally. like the beauty of 
wheeling, having something just for wheeling and towing it there. Um, also, we fixed the T-case mount welds, Ugh. which were, if you guys follow our story, you've seen some pictures. It's pretty bad. Dude, this Samurai really is probably the worst built vehicle I've ever had in the shop. And the bar is, like, low. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, uh, there's some vehicles I haven't even posted because they've been done by local shops. And I'm just not willing to get into it with them. Um yeah, man. That just were not as bad. And at the time, I was like, I can't believe they fucking let this thing go on the road. That's but, what scares me. Yeah, it's crazy. Some people have just, like, no pride in their work. But also, like, liability. liability yeah. yeah, I know. So I just won't. I know. Well, so we, we fixed that. Um, what else did we do? Oh, we <laughs> thankfully, last minute, added the diff armor on. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, I would say our buddy Craig showed up. He was going to go with us. He showed up like Saturday, and I don't think we had the transfer case gears back in the transfer case yet at that point. We didn't have the tra- – we had the gears in, but we didn't have the transfer case back on the Oh, vehicle. that's right. That's right. Yeah. And we, we didn't have the sliders on, and he found inside the Samurai <laughs> diff armor, and Thank- he was like – Thank God we put those on. Put these on. <laughs> that thing is low, dude. So the only thing that stops the samurai is hitting the diffs because it only has thirty one. So you just diff out on rocks. But oh besides that, honestly, like I hate being that guy who's like back in my day. But the sam the Rubicon has gotten a lot easier with all the erosion control on it and stuff. Do you think it would have made it before? What do you mean? before? Yeah, I think it would have, okay. but it was just a lot easier. All the erosion control and there isn't like. Yeah. I mean, and also, of course, over time, they've blown up a lot of the obstacles. Right. There's no gatekeeper anymore. Interestingly, the gatekeeper for the Rubicon still exists here locally. They made it out of cement at the training area here. Truck Haven, yeah. Which is pretty cool. But, yeah, and I understand why they're doing it. They have to so they can service the trail. And also, during, like, Jeepers Jamboree and stuff, they have to get 100 Jeeps through in a day. So, it has to be a little easier, but... It's, I mean, 10 years ago, the trail was a lot harder, but yeah. also too, there's bypasses for everything now. Yeah. So I mean, you can make it as hard or easy as you want mm-hmm. and it's still really fun. And, you know, you could take a bypass and your friend takes the obstacle and you could sit there and watch and it's, you know, that's still what I love good about time. the Rubicon. But, oh, and the muffler. Oh, and I welded the muffler on because mm-hmm. it wasn't attached before. And that was nice because it was pretty quiet. Oh my god, it made a huge difference. That yeah. carb runs good up hills too. I'm not sure if you've ever been in like a normal carbureted vehicle, but usually <laughs> I don't think I have. So usually you have to set the float like really low because it overfills and like dumps into the carb and it'll die on hills. Oh. It just runs super rich and just does not run good. Like mm-hmm. stock 22R carbs are horrible on hills. I will say that it did run really rich. You could smell it. The whole time. Yeah, man. It doesn't run good. <laughs> I'm going to tell you. It's, it doesn't run good. Uh, we also smashed up the cat a little bit. Oh, that's right. It's a bummer because those things are like $1,000 now. But we are in a no smog county. <laughs> we're like one of three no smog counties in California. So we're pretty good. Yeah. So overall, so those are all the things that we did before. And then we got there. And... I mean, it just went, man. It was super fun. We didn't have any real issues. We had one one um, vacuum leak, and it was just because a, a hose was, like, zip-tied on, and it, like, came off. Yeah, and it wasn't idling good, and I was like, you know what? 
Anytime a carbureted thing is not idling good, it's always a vacuum leak. Yep. And you found it. So, and then after you did that, it ran great. I didn't have any problems. Yeah. It was awesome. It was. Um, What other issues? I mean, I was pretty nervous going in because we didn't practice it like we wanted to do a shakedown run. (laughs) We were going to do like anything other than drive it on the three rocks in our front yard. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. But of course, this is what we do. We were actually pretty happy with ourselves because we finished at 10 at 30 the night before we were going to leave. But we still had to pack. Yeah. And we're like, yeah, we're killing it on time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because again, the bar is low. (laughs) It's so low for us. And we were like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to finish it a month early. And then we're going to take it out and we're going to do Corral Canyon with it. And then we'll come back and we'll fix it. And then we'll do Corral Canyon with it again. And then we'll be good to go. Yeah, I know. What are we? What is it? Do we not know ourselves? Yeah, we're like not adults. It's why when we race, we can't do this shit if we race. I oh, will not yeah. race unless we're done with the truck like six months early and we can pre-run for like six months straight. I think that's fair. I feel like that would be a little bit more of a motivator to get yeah. things done earlier. This one, I mean, this was like our vacation and we're trying to work also on yeah. just our jobs. So it was a little harder to yeah. fit things in. But I'm not going to like build a 4,800 truck and then be like, okay, we'll yeah. try it out on the race course. That's wasting everyone's time. You're right. wasting your time, sponsor time. Yeah. The, you're wasting the other racers times mainly. You don't end up like the gladiator that had to be pushed through everything. It's just, <laughs> I'd be too anxious and feel bad. Exactly. I can't hold people For everyone like involved, including yourself. So yep. yeah. Um. So that's why I was super nervous. Yeah. And it was like the first time that I built something that I was going to drive on the trail. Um, and I, I feel like by the time, so we got on the trail at like five o'clock and we wanted to make it to our first camp spot that night. So we were only going to wheel a couple hours. And by the time we got to the camp spot, I felt like a hundred percent better. Yeah. Way more confident. It just goes, man. It's Dude. such a good vehicle. <laughs> it's for some reason, the worst vehicle is actually the best vehicle. It makes yeah. no sense, mm-hmm. but it's, yeah, it's killer. You mm-hmm. can't like not have a smile in it too, but also so fun. fully loaded with gear. Like I'm not exaggerating. There is a quarter inch of up travel in the rear shocks Yeah, to the point where I think I blew one out the last day when I was driving and I was like, how did I blow this thing out? If I'm just sitting on it the whole time, this doesn't make yeah. any sense. The other thing is that we, we can only bring so much yeah. in that vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> so it did feel like we were backpacking out of our samurai. We did have a fridge though. And we had three Milwaukee pack out. Well, bins. you know, priorities. Yeah. The <laughs> fridge is nice. It's funny. We ran into some guy with like a two buggy. And he was like, uh, he had issues, his fan like smacked into the shroud and then plastic welded itself shut. And then it was killing the motor immediately. The motors in those also have like a, is it a thermistor? I don't know. It's some kind of sensor in there that knows that the motor's hot and it shuts itself off. And I am a man who has had electric fan issues. So (laughs) I understand this intimately. And he was like, yeah, I think I can fix it. And he's like, I might try and drill it and put it on like the water pump and see if I can just have the fan like that. And he's like, but I don't have a drill. I was like, I got a drill, the samurai. And he's like, what? I'm like, yeah, I got a welder in there too. (laughs) And so he went back to his camp and he's like, dude, I ran into some dude in a samurai. 
31s, no bumper. He had a welder, a grinder, a drill. He ended up being the toolbox. Yeah, it made no sense. For some reason. Yeah. Honestly, though, of any camp for him to roll up on with those problems, he like landed at the perfect one. Oh, yeah. But he he and his wife were super cool, and we were so glad we ran into them because we ended up meeting them later. (laughs) Yeah, we needed their winch because Alex snapped one of his tie rods. He has a... A 76 Ford on 43s. He uses 49s in the winter for winter recoveries. And he has like single shear, the EMF tie rods, which are supposed to be the, like the strongest tie rods mm-hmm. out there. But I don't, they don't list a load rating for those joints. Do you think though, like the, like the perfect storm of what happened contributed to like them failing? No, in that they moment? shouldn't fail. You shouldn't have to worry about your tie rods. Even coming down at that angle with yeah. all of that weight. At yeah, that- dude. We have just like normal seven eighths tie rods, which I think ours, when we switched to the FK, is rated for 55,000 pounds. Mm-hmm. And I would jump our truck and nosedive it into rocks and stuff. And admittedly, we only have 40s. We don't have 43s, but still. Is there a better option? Yeah, you can just do like a single shear Heim or just jump up in size. But the nice thing about them, the problem is that they use that truck for winter recoveries. So they're driving it through the snow. And if you have exposed joints that are getting mm-hmm. moisture on them and shit, they're going to wear out faster. So those are good because they're sealed, greasable, et cetera, which is what I always say is great. And if they listed a load rating on their website, you could be like, oh, I need to run this one. But I think mm-hmm. the load rating is just too low in a single shear application for it. Mm-hmm. So the bummer is that they're probably going to have to run 7.8's FK. FK's made in USA line. FK mm-hmm. has like an import line that's the same as like the Barnes rough stuff, whatever, all the like basic joints that people buy. Um, but their main USA line is 55,000 pound load rating. It's like a three stage seal rate steel race. Um, I think they're going to have to run that and replace it every season because it's going to get worn out and clapped because it's going to get just full of snow constantly or mud or silt. So they're just going to have, could they have like, <laughs> They already have like a summer and winter outfit for yeah. their truck, which includes fenders and tires and now joints. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much, which is annoying. But you you shouldn't have to worry about your suspension joints like you can estimate the load on everything and design your safety factor to fit it. Mm-hmm. That's what I do on all my joints. Yeah. But I also usually just use inch and a quarter for everything because um Typically, a safety factor for a lower for an inch a quarter is good. And then you can use seven eighths on the uppers, depending on your like link geometry and weight and your your uh, use. But if you can fit an inch and a quarter, then you only have to carry one spare joint. And also, mm. while the seven eighths will work, if you, let's say you have a like, I think they call it URL, ultimate radial load. If you have an ultimate radial load of 100,000 pounds and maybe throughout your suspension cycle, you average 10,000 pounds of force into it. That joint is going to last a very long time. But if you have an ultimate radial load of 15,000 pounds and you regularly give it 10,000 pounds, you will wear out that joint very quickly. Okay. Can you explain ultimate radial load? I don't really understand it, but it's, they pretty much put it in a press and they test it to deformation. But also the joint is has load applied while it's twisting, which mm-hmm. is which makes it weaker because the race has to like the ball has to twist in the race while it's applying load. It's the same idea as like a big issue for pre runners is drive shaft plunge. 
in the rear, if they have trailing arms and they have 30 inches of travel, you almost like ruin your rear suspension geometry to keep it so that the, uh, throughout the 30 inches of travel, the drive shaft isn't moving like in and out like four inches Okay, because it might be fine, like static or slow crawling. It's not as big a deal, but if you have a 600 horsepower motor and you're hitting whoops at 80 miles an hour mm-hmm. and you're cycling it with 600 horsepower, that's applying all that load. And it's like a, a point load. It's like happening all at once as you hit the crest of a whoop as it's pushing in by four inches, it's just Mm going to shred those splines and destroy them. So that's why on the rear of our truck, we have like a quarter inch of drive shaft plunge. And I actually made the suspension geometry a little worse on it because of that. Although we really don't need to, because then I realized we have 190 horsepower. So it's like, (laughs) you're never breaking it. It's fine. Yeah. But it's the same idea. So like if you take a piece of metal and push on it, it'll have a given strength. But if you take a piece of metal and you're rotating it inside of something while you push on it, it's going to be weaker. Okay. And also it's going to wear out the race. So you're like the load rating of a joint is good for knowing exactly how much load can go into it. And it gives you an estimation of how long it'll last. Although also like if you have a Johnny joint, which is a sealed greasable uh, joint with like polyurethane ends. Johnny joints are probably the cheapest and also the weakest of all the joints. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're sealed and greasable, so they might last much longer than another mm. stronger joint too. So that's another consideration that you have to have. And they're also yeah. like lifetime joints, which can be preloaded, which are similar to Johnny joints. A lot of there's two different styles. They either use a polyurethane race or they use a bronze race. And the bronze race ones are like 140 bucks each. I think. TMRs are a bronze race and one other brand, I believe. And the rest are all polyurethane race and they're pretty similar. Some say they're better than others, but it's like, there's only so many ways that you can have like a ring that twists and compresses polyurethane to hold a joint together or whatever they use on it. It's like ABS or Delrin or poly or it's some kind of fucking plastic. I'm not that smart. Well, you're blowing me away. There's so much to think about with this. You with should, joints. Yeah, yeah, I think you should put something on our website about that. Yeah. I'm going to do an article on like joints rated from like best to worst, but also the problem is it depends on the use case because Mm -hmm. if you're like, if you're in a high performance application, Johnny joints are probably the worst joints for you to use. But if you're building like a daily driver, they dampen vibration, which is great because like solid joints will transfer like low velocity oscillations and stuff directly into the chassis. Whereas a Johnny joint might eat that up. So like on our truck, we went from bushinged upper control arms to heimed upper control arms in the front because we blew up three sets of bushings in a month because those upper control arms are junk. Mm-hmm. And I feel the road going to our house more with the heimed upper control arms because there's yeah. less deflection and like the low velocity small shit is just eaten up by the softness of the bushings. So it's kind of like suspension bind too. People are like, oh, that's it's the suspension is binding. I'm like the, all the OEMs design bind into their system to like in as like a benefit, Mm. like radius arms, like one ton trucks have radius arm front ends so that they bind. It's like a free sway bar. Okay. Yeah. It's the same idea. Mm -hmm. Or like, People are like, oh, leaf springs bind. I'm like, yeah, it's also kind of the best thing because there's a lot of value in leaf springs because they locate the axle. They provide the spring that holds it up and they have some anti-roll characteristics as well. 
mm-hmm. as well as they have like a higher role center generally. Cause it's like, there's this weird ass calculation for figuring out the role center, of the leaf springs. It's like pretty much not useful. It's like the center point of the spring, but then you have to like take the center of the axle thing. I got to read it again. There's this really good um, suspension dynamics te- textbook that has two chapters on setting up leaf springs for performance. And it talks about all these things like the actual physical angle of your leaf spring. And like, it talks a little bit about shackle angle too, but I don't think that like it's mainly for circle track stuff. So mm. I don't think people are going as crazy as they are with the shackles, but like on the samurai in the rear, the shackles were flat, Yeah, <laughs> were I so know. Bad. <laughs> but it had no up travel, which is probably why my back hurts so bad right now. So, but I'm yeah. valving you for our anniversary. I got you four 10 inch 7100s. Yeah, I know. I'm excited to do that. Yeah. So, after the Rubicon, we decided that, you know, there's some things that we want to do to it, including that. Yeah. Which was something that we, if we had more time, we would have mm-hmm. done it before. But um, that, Toyota axles would be nice. What, oh, fixing the sliders and whatever else is messed up underneath that bangs on things like the gas tank and the cat. But the cool thing about it is that we could go and do the Rubicon today in it. Oh, I'm totally down to take it right now wheeling. Yeah. I'd be happy. Yes. And the guy who sold it to us has a set of five leaf pack for the rear. Oh, we have nice. fours right now. He swapped them from fives to fours because it was a little tall because he never put anything in the back. But oh. it needs a fives when it's loaded with camping gear and tools and stuff. You can't put a welder in the back. Yeah. I mean, I, I just imagine every time we take it out, we're going to have tools and stuff in it. So we might yeah. as well add the fifth. Yeah. You leaf. might as well just set it up. So when it's empty, the back end is high. Yeah. And so there was one day where we were able to drop off all of our camping stuff and just mm-hmm. leave it at the camp and, and just wheel for the day. Yeah. That was so nice. we took out a bunch of stuff, which, yeah, that was nice. Um, that was a fun day. That was when I finished the drive out to the Springs and then you took over. Mm-hmm. Got it stuck a couple times real bad. <laughs> First time was cause you were spotting me. Oh my God. Stop it. Everyone says I almost rolled it. I don't think so. Um, yeah. Craig I and I had to it out of it. We had to stand on the slider so that you didn't roll. You know, what's crazy about the samurai though is like going down Indian trail. It's all off camber and I could just hold on to the sliders like off the side and I'm 10% the weight of the vehicle. That actually helped a lot. I yeah, hate off camber stuff. I know I hate it. And I was going so slow because it was, it felt so tippy. I hate it. And then the minute you got on the slider, it felt so much better. It was flat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Completely flat. So I think our new suspension design will have some kind of like, um, not really on purpose, but some kind of like forced articulation thing in the back, which will mainly be for uh, towing trailers with. So we can take a race trailer out with our rock crawler or like a, a little overland trailer too. I have a really cool design for an overland trailer that I don't oh, even want yeah. to talk about. No, don't, 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 don't. Someone else will steal it because yeah. Yeah. That's how it works. Uh, yeah. Apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I was going to mention, uh, the twin sticks. Oh, they're junk. They're terrible. They're trash. Yeah. <laughs> this is like horrible twin stick setup. It looks homemade. There's like a puck that you shove into the transfer case that then you have to like line up these tiny like quarter inch set screws. It probably took me an hour to line up the tw- the set screws for the twin sticks. Yeah. And alone that was bad. T- for two mm-hmm. bolts. Like if I was charging a customer, it would have to be like 130 bucks. It'd be 70 bucks a bolt. To tighten it. 
is ridiculous. They're junk. And you had to bend it so that they didn't hit each other. Yeah, I had to torch it and bend it over. I had to Hulk hands it. Mm -hmm. So stupid. What a horrible setup. Uh, It did work fine now, though, but the uh, shift boot doesn't fit anymore. No, it doesn't. Yeah. So we got to fix that. Yeah, it'd be nice to have something better there. I would like to have um, cup holders. Oh, it needs cup holders bad. <laughs> we just had all the water bottles sitting in the passenger floorboard, just bouncing around. I know. Dangerous. We have our like magnetic koozies that we yeah. just put on the outside of the vehicle. <laughs> we only have our new ones, which are junk, though. Our old ones had two magnets, and they would have actually held something to the side of the we truck. We should get some new ones. Yeah, new old ones. are the old ones, yeah. yeah. Hmm. What else? What else can we do to the samurai? Link it. (laughs) Toyota axles, link it. Yeah. Better shocks. Be cool. Better steering. I have some discontinued uh, Bilstein Rockcrawler Racing Series. Mm. 2.0s. They're like 2.0 coilovers, but they have the like 60 millimeters, like 2.6 inch reservoir. Mm -hmm. It's like a 14 inch reservoir. It's crazy. Mm. Um, Apparently, they have some cool stuff going on inside that I think they have like a really good rebound damper or something. I don't remember what the deal with them is. Okay. It's not like the new stuff where there's actually like a separate piston for the rebound side, but oh, uh, it's like the beginnings of that technology, I believe. Or it might be a normal coilover inside. I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> Could be anything. Okay. So how big of tires do you think that you would be comfortable going to in the Samurai I think with Toyota axles? Because that would be what we're doing next. I think with Toyota axles under the Samurai are like a set of tons pretty much. I think you do 37s and be okay. What? No. Dude, I think it'd be fine on 37s. Oh, my God. I think the only I would go up to 35. I don't know if I would go to 37. Dude, I think 37s, no lift on the Samurai and just trim all the fender well out. It'd be sick. You'd have to trim everything. Yeah, all of it. I know. Well, remember when we were going to build like a Samurai on 54s? No, no. That was not. No. (laughs) Yeah. You kept getting more ridiculous with that. I'm. (laughs) No. No. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> fine it would have been sick though samurai yeah. with 54s hell yeah there would be no samurai i know it would be <laughs> 108 inches if the tires touched each other which is longer <laughs> than the samurai is it would have been awesome okay so when you go to toyota axles on the samurai do you have to relocate where the axles like the wheelbase do you make it do you stretch it you can to fit tires okay so, like, the 31s kind of rub the fender well a little bit. So, if you're going to go to 35s, you got to push it forward two inches. Okay. Because 31 to 35 is four inches. So, it's mm-hmm. a two-inch radius. So, it's got to go at least two inches forward. That might help a bit. And also, the so the diffs on the Samurai are on the same side. It has an offset rear diff. Mm-hmm. And you can get Trail Gear has, like, a Samurai swap Toyota axle setup that has an offset rear diff. To keep it the same? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's still like offset and works or whatever. I don't know what the fitment is like. Honestly, I don't remember. I'm just assuming you need the offset. Mm-hmm. I think, what are they both on the passenger side? Yeah, they yeah, are. Because all my shit is driver drop now. So mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be cool. The Toyota Rock Salt axles too have gotten a lot better. Although the last one I sold leaked where it just wasn't welded. Mm. <laughs> but uh, the rest of them have been pretty good for the most part i had to just fix it myself too because like what are you gonna do it was already installed on the vehicle Mm -hmm. and then trying to it's like this coilover 
supposedly quality control checked it. They sent it out to a customer. It had the wrong hose end and it was probably had eight inches of air inside of it. That's so terrible. That's so bad. It's supposed to have zero inches of air (laughs) (laughs) just in case you don't know about shocks. Um, so I had to get it back. Um, and just fix it out of my own money to make the customer happy because when I sell product, I own it. So yeah, if it's, if it's not right, right. yeah, yeah, I have to fix it. But, and if it was anyone else, any other reseller, they just would have been like, Oh, I don't know. And then they just would have only had one shock Yeah, and been told to pound sand. Mm -hmm. It's rough, but I will always go above and beyond always to my detriment. Yeah. But I, I think that's right. Yeah. It's just, I wish other companies would do that for me mainly. But <laughs> so I should just give up. Be the company. I know. I want to be for yourself. Yeah. I want to be a company that I would want to buy stuff from. Mm-hmm. That's my goal. Another one of my goals too, is like when someone does a big purchase with us, it's my goal for them to never have to ask for an update. But like, the problem is I just don't know on a lot of this stuff. Some things. Yeah, yeah. It's really hard. I'm like, yeah, it's supposed to be built in eight weeks. And then they ask it like six weeks in and I'm like, well, I'll get an update. You know, that's no big deal. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, it's going to be another eight weeks. I'm like, dude, what? I like know. if it would be one thing, if in the beginning a company was like, it's going to be 24 weeks mm-hmm. and I'd be like, Hey, it's 24 weeks. Are you okay with it? But instead there's certain like major chain off-road companies that this is their business model that they quote a low price, get a customer in. Then when the vehicle's on the lift, then they're trained to call back and tell them like, oh, it needs this. Oh, it needs this. Oh, it needs this. And just slowly add it up until it's like a $4,000 bill. Right, right. We've all seen that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's literally some companies, it's in their company training. That's so terrible. Yeah, it's sketchy. I won't name them by name, but it's a a store you have driven past. (laughs) (laughs) I... Wherever in the country you are, you have probably driven past the store. That's just that. Yeah. I understand that to an extent that happens because like you're dealing like, yeah, you know, you're, you're trying to get parts from all sorts of different places or like something comes up and you're like, ah, this is ended up being a bigger job than I thought because yeah. But like to make that your model is Mm. that's pretty. And to train your employees on it too. And then a lot of them get commission on upselling jobs as well. Which I also don't like as mm-hmm. a model, which I guess we're kind of based on because obviously, like, we don't sell stuff for free. We make a percentage on it, even mm-hmm. if it is pretty low. Sure. Um, so it's like we kind of have the same thing, but also to me, it's not worth selling something that someone doesn't want. I was going to say, you have talked out a lot of yes. sales. I've probably lost, like, over the course of our business, mm-hmm. at least a million dollars. Or but, more in sales. Like, also, that just means that you're like, your word means something, you know? And you have like customers who feel safe. Yeah, that's true. My mm-hmm. word is worth more than the money. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, like, other companies will tell them they need something. And I'm like, dude, don't do that. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Use that money on gas instead. They're like trying to convince dudes they need. And a lot of the suspension products make your vehicle worse. There's a lot of like bigger bump stops and stuff. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, Well, it's also like teaching people to understand how it works too, because a lot of people get this because they've been told to get this or it looks cool Mm. or it's expensive or they think that they need this because they think that they're going to do this. And most of the time they just don't understand that that's going to change it in this area. Yeah, that's true. Like having 
more educated customers is better for everyone. Yeah. And makes it harder to pull this stuff on it too. Like I'm going to do a tech series on the difference between all the different internal bypass shocks. Yeah. And explain how like a lot of them are a two inch shock, like a 5,100 masquerading is a two and a half inch shock, which is like maybe one of the most common internal bypass sets. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, you know, a lot, the company selling them don't know anything about them. That's I see all these like dudes who are reviewing shocks who talk about the outside of the shock. I'm like, well, what? Honestly, that's what a lot of people care about. But maybe yeah. it's because that's what marketing talks about. Yes. So it's like this cycle of yeah. just building up the outside of, of, of something that doesn't matter. Cosmetics. Yeah. And I'm like, it's mm-hmm. the outside means nothing to me. It's weird. Like my brain is wired differently. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I don't mm-hmm. care how stuff looks at all. It means nothing. I want to know the inside. I've always been like that. I always mm-hmm. have to like take it apart and see it. Mm-hmm. I have to see it. But I think when you don't understand what's inside, then what is there left to It's care true. About? Yeah. And the marketing of a lot of these companies do a bad job, which is like not always on purpose. It's a lot. It's a hard job, man, to portray a lot of the stuff. Like if you have someone who doesn't know how to, how a shock works And then you're like, let me explain the difference between the five different kinds of internal bypass shock technology on the market (laughs) right now. And like, you got to start at like, how does a shock seal work? Or like, what's the advantage to having a larger oil volume or Mm -hmm. stuff like that? Like, I don't, I think it's hard enough to portray the actual like physical properties of a shock. Sure. Yeah. And make it understandable to everybody. And interesting know? because mm-hmm. everyone's attention span is under attack. That's why, like, I posted a five-second reel and it got seven million views. Oh, I know. <laughs> because everyone's attention span is under attack. And That's TikTok true. is taking over everything and Instagram isn't for photos anymore. It kind of makes me mad, honestly. Yeah, but honestly, this is how this is what happens. You know, yep. things change. And we'll all get on board at some point. Yeah. And then there'll be something different. I don't like getting 7 million views, too. It makes my hands sweaty. (laughs) It's too many people. You want to talk about that? The Watts Link? I don't know. I don't have much to say about it. Mm. The Watts Link was originally patented in 1784. That is pretty wild. But there is some documentation that shows that Watts Links have been around since before 1776. Which means that it's probably older than America itself. And it was originally designed for steam engines in order to keep, I think, reciprocating pistons perfectly aligned. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So why do you think it's not more popular? Um, well, a company made a Jeep kit for a horizontal Watts link like the Nissan has now. And it was called the Constant Roll Center Kit, which is both not true and also not desirable. So it's interesting because it's like they've created an imaginary problem only to not solve it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, it's like the idea that having your role center stay in the exact same spot is desirable is kind of odd to me. And it, it isn't something that I've heard someone make a good argument for ever. Mm-hmm. And also it doesn't because the axle moves. So in relation to the chassis, the roll center is not constant Mm -hmm. because it's rotating around one set point as the axle goes up and down. So like a Mumford link would be an example of something that I would consider an actual 
constant roll center, which is a different style of link. It has like two Y shaped arms that are connected together. And then they have oh. a linkage that goes down to the side. I'd have to post a picture of it. I can't explain it. Right. Right. Um, I think you've shown it to me now. I understand. Yeah. And I might do that on our truck yeah. um, to have a higher roll center. Mm-hmm. What's interesting though, is that the horizontal Watts link actually has a lower roll center by about an inch than the five link setup that I was going to do with a pan hard. Really? At least at ride height. Okay. I didn't plot it through everything else. It was a pain in the ass to plot though. Mm-hmm. Cause I essentially had to put it in like it was a pan hard for every inch of the 24 inches of travel and figure out exactly where the roll center would end up for each of for those, each of those inches. inches to make sure that the suspension geometry was okay. And because it has parallel lowers and semi triangulated uppers, it's a little goofy, mm-hmm. but it's well within a margin of what I would call like a decent suspension setup. And okay. the specific characteristics of having parallel lowers and semi-triangulated uppers that are mm-hmm. all the way out at the tires and the horizontal watts link makes it so that as it articulates, everything perfectly clears the bed, which was designed for leaf springs. It was mm-hmm. never designed for this setup. Right, so right. I'm working off constraints that are pre-existing on the vehicle and then designing a system around it. Yeah. And I think it's cool. And honestly, I just get bored with shit. I can't build the same truck. Like I've already proven that a three link truck is better than a long travel, like a bolt on long travel truck in the whoops. Sure. Yeah. And I'm bored by it. You now. need to do something more interesting. Yeah. I like it. It's different. It's new. I think that's why it took off on, I mean, it's not just like it's a seven, seven second video. It's because yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. But um, what do you what are you worried about with it? Um, so there's some unknowns for the load that it's going to see because the arms are equal and opposite. And what's interesting is actually at full droop, it's not at its weakest point because it's forming two triangles out of the arms. So I think actually when it's loaded closer to ride height, it's at its weakest point. So what I've done is you can kind of estimate the load a little bit on it. Mm-hmm. Um in the computer, but I've based the largely based the safety margins around the maximum load a panhard would see. And I think it's like in an event that sees six G's, it's like a crash that would happen with like six G forces. Mm-hmm, I'm sure mm-hmm. I'm saying it wrong. Um, <laughs> that's just how it's calculated typically mm-hmm. in the uh, link calculator. And so I've taken all that and I've essentially doubled the amount of my safety factor that I'm usually safe with. So the Himes have a like 13 to one safety factor for like a 6g event okay um and then the only thing that has kind of a low safety factor is i'm using inch and a half quarter wall for the link arms which have a fairly low safety factor for bending at the length they're at but they're never going to hit a rock Hmm. Um, bending is like if the weight of the vehicle is being supported on it with like a point load in the middle or something Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that's not really an issue so i don't know i'm just, just interested to see how it works honestly to be like completely transparent the semi-triangulated upper links take a majority of locating the axle side to side however because i was only able to get about 20 degrees total out of them the rule of thumb is that you need 40 degrees of um separation in order to hold an axle side to side securely usually you want to err on more but with only 20, I was like, oh, I need a pan hard or some other kind of locating thing, which is how I came up with this. But mm-hmm. um, the uppers being semi triangulated, they aren't going to like, they sort of fight against a pan hard, not really. 
mm-hmm. because they take some of the load of the pan hard and it doesn't bind or anything. So I'll set up like the lowers of a three link semi triangulated, take some load off the pan hard. Although there's a point of diminishing returns where if the lowers come in and form a perfect triangle, like let's say the lowers meet together and are bolted together. Okay. If the pan hard is trying to move the axle side to side an inch or two, it's not going to be able to. The axle will not want to go side to side. It will only be able to do so by like twisting. Oh, okay. Back and front. So there's a point of diminishing returns. I see. Okay. So you can. It's like with anything. There's too much of a good thing. That's why I like to make sure. people quantify things when they make statements. They're like, "That's binding." I'm like, how much bind? Yeah. <laughs> like what? Like how much bind do you is acceptable? How much bind is good? Right. So. That's why I try to never speak in absolutes. Never. Mm-hmm. Which is an absolute. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't remember what I was saying. Oh, yeah. So the uppers are semi-triangulated. I have these like crazy mounts for them that essentially put them right at where the tire is, which is kind of cool. And then I uh, designed the upper trailing arms in CAD. The original setup I had got like 30 inches of travel, which is stupid. Yeah. It was way too much. So this one only does like 24 and I think I'm going to strap it to 22. Only. And yeah. And then I'm going to bias it towards up travel more than I've done the other ones. Okay. And that way you end up with a higher linear spring rate because the more droop you have, the lower your spring rate is. Because okay. if you have 20 inches of droop, you need to have a spring rate that can be compressed 20 inches at ride height. Right. So let's say you have a 20 pound corner weight. Just for like an example, say you're building uh, maybe like a scale car with a 20 pound corner weight and 20 inches of droop, you would need a one pound per inch spring. Okay. But if you have five inches of droop, you would need a four pound per inch spring. Right. So with less droop, you can have a much higher spring rate. I don't fuck with tender coils or none of that stupid shit. I think it's dumb. Um, <laughs> uh, unless you're building like a trophy truck or UTVs or stuff like that. And then it's pretty useful to use a, a okay. tender springs, but that's kind of like nineties or early two thousand shit. People don't really do that anymore. Now you just do like normal dual rate stuff, right. but like really high motion ratios, like maybe an IFS situation. Dudes are always asking me if they can do like dual rate on their IFS setup. And I've been trying to explain to them that they would have to have like a 2000 pound spring over like a 1000 pound spring, which doesn't exist to achieve their like main rate that they want. And it goes right over their head. So I might have to make a video about that too, (laughs) about how it just doesn't work. And it's going to be weird. And you want like a really nice clean and they're like, oh, well, I want the spring rate to be progressive. I'm like, your spring rate is progressive right now. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I don't understand what you want. (laughs) I'm going to be honest with you. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense to me, but it's hard to picture if you haven't done it. Yeah. I guess. Um, I don't even remember what I was saying. Yeah. Watts links are cool. It's I'm using a dual shear spindle, which is the spindle itself uses bearings that you would typically see in a 3,500 pound trailer axle. There, it's all the dual, all the spindles are just machined down like flatbed trailer spindles because mm-hmm. that's what's easily available. This one though, the dual shear is nice, so it's held on top and on bottom, right? Which is much stronger. And then also these bearings are rated spinning at a very high RPM, spinning at like several thousand RPMs. Okay. So it's the same thing with that I was saying earlier about drive shaft plunge or the Heims being weaker as they're rotating. Mm-hmm. Um. 
if it's spinning super, super fast, it's also weaker. So I'm maybe spinning it at like five RPMs max, mm-hmm. but it's only spinning like, I think it spins like 32 degrees as a suspension cycle. So as you're hitting whoops, you okay. might hit like a maximum of speed of like, I don't know, 50 to 100 RPMs maybe. And so you're going to get a lot more load out of that system than you would if you were on a trailer driving 80 miles an hour down the highway. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you can assume that it's much higher. Okay. Interesting. And it's dual shear too, which helps a lot because that's part of that rating is also assuming that it's a single shear application and then has a ton of leverage from the tires. Although this does have a ton of leverage from the link arms. So I think if the link arms were shorter, they would actually apply less leverage to the pivot. I believe I'm not a hundred percent sure about that. I'd have to model it in CAD and then run a thing on it, but um, it has to be longer to accommodate um, the like side to side link arms change distances left and right as they swing by about 2.6 inches. So it has to accommodate that 2.6 inches as the pivot swings without getting anywhere near um, reaching the maximum angle of the hind. So right now you have like five angles or five degrees left over at full droop. And I haven't done the limit straps yet. So it should be good. <laughs> okay. I'll take your word for it. So I've thought, I have thought all this out. Yeah. And I have quite Obviously. a bit of like 10th grade level math that I've done about <laughs> all this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but also I'm kind of doing it for fun. I know. I like it. it I just like looks it too. Cool. Yeah. I, I mean, I have to do fun stuff. Otherwise, you know, what's the point? Yeah. New right? things. Interesting things. Yeah. It has Unique. to be interesting or mm-hmm. else what's the point. And also I'm using TMR's anti-wobbles at the front of the upper trailing arms, which are really cool. It's a uniball, but it has very firm Delrin bushings. And I didn't understand it at first, but the Delrin is actually cut at an angle so that as the link arm tries to wobble over, it will contact the inner part of the uniball completely flat because the Delrin's at an angle. So Hmm. as the link arm rotates, it hits it completely flush. Whereas all the other ones on the market, the reason I hate them is because it contacts it and it just hits the very corner of it and then just like smashes apart the plastic. Mm. But Delrin is incredibly strong. Like people use Delrin to skin their skid plates. Hmm. So it's a very tough material. It's definitely up to the task. And it should be cool. And it's also, it's fairly sealed because of the Delrin too. And the way I've designed it, it has fairly large drain holes in it. So once you get the um, Watts link all buttoned up, what else is there? It's pretty much ready to go. I think our machinist wants to take a crack at uh, machining a pivot for it, which I think would be really cool. Yeah. Um, I think it would be worth it. So I might just use the one I have now as mock-up. Okay. I actually need to send him a file for it. I'll probably do that tomorrow. Awesome. And yeah. And this I don't is know. like the tail end, right? This is the tail end. I got the suspension all together. The problem is, is that I kind of want to wait until I've been working on this thing so fucking long that now they are making an adapter for the Atlas. So now I have to take the two wheel drive trans out, put the four wheel drive trans back in and then actually do um, an Atlas with an adapter. And I probably have... 30 hours into a divorced Atlas mount setup that I've designed in the computer, which now just goes away. So that's kind of the story of this build though. I've probably have only been able to build for like one out of four hours I've spent on it. Yeah. 
which is a nightmare. But also it's an interesting build, and this is the last solid axle swap I will do for a customer. I know, man. Ever. So beyond this, it's going to be all suspension products and kits. I can't wait to start making my own products because yeah, I have Yeah, and our own so vehicles. Many. Yeah, and our own vehicles too. Might build an Ultra 4 car, do an LS swap, newer something. Tacoma build or something <laughs> with a cool trailer setup. Or maybe your own samurai yeah. will have his and hers. I know that's the other thing. I keep seeing samurais for like four grand on Craigslist. I'm like, I know. Get this and just have his and hers, and we could. I could. <laughs> we could have a trailer that's long enough for both samurais. Absolutely, and the tundra would tow both samurais. <laughs> and then we could just get like a camper set up for the tundra hmm. and tow both samurais out to like Colorado and stuff, and just put oh, around in them. That'd be so fun. Wouldn't it be a good time? Just do like forty-eight miles an hour on the freeway together <laughs> <laughs> with our emergency lights on. Sounds like a good time. It does sound like a good time. Samurais are so much fun. There. Amber is right. Yes. She's been trying to tell everybody. I know. She has for years. <laughs> <laughs> I messaged her and I was like, dude, I think if this thing was on 35s and toy axles, it would be like better than a rock buggy. And she's like, I have been trying to tell people that literally for years. I was like, yeah, I don't know why I told you that. Because <laughs> she's literally racing King of the Hammers with her samurai. On. Oh, my God. I'm not even sure it's on 35s now. I think last year was the first year it was on 35s. But she I raced so. it on 31s. I know. I know. Dude, that's rough. Yeah. It's fucking brutal, too. It does not. It's not comfortable. Well, also, like, it's not a fast vehicle. Oh, no. And, like, I, I was fine driving it slowly in four low, in first gear, through the Rubicon, whatever. As a passenger, it's a little rough. Mm-hmm. And if you go any faster than that, it's real rough. Yeah, I do kind of miss our truck where, like, if I didn't want to, I didn't have to lock the hubs for, like, the first half of the day on the Rubicon. <laughs> and I can just, like, smash through shit in second or third. And it was comfortable. It's mm-hmm. not bouncy in there. Mm-hmm. It's very smooth and controlled. Just glides over everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also sometimes, like, you'll show me videos of me wheeling that truck. And I'm like, I thought it was flat there. And I'll be, yeah. like, fully flexed out. And I had totally, no idea. Totally, yes. Yeah, I'm like, what? I could have rolled it. <laughs> You know, it was fin- fun sitting passenger in the Ford on the Rubicon. I it was wish a I totally yeah. different experience. It's also very in. comfortable. Mm-hmm. They have a very comfortable bench seat in there. Yeah, I know. Insane. Mm-hmm. I want to spec him sh- some shocks, too. He just has, like, off-the-shelf 5100s in it, which mm-hmm. have a, like, they have a digressive main piston, but um, I don't want to get into my rant about how that doesn't mean it has digressive <laughs> valving again. Um, but they're usually fairly soft because they're mainly geared towards on-road driving. So for on-road driving, you typically want softer valving mm-hmm. than for off-road. And so with air down 43s, you don't have to valve the shocks for shit that the tires just roll over. Whereas if mm-hmm. you have 31s, you have to valve the shocks mm-hmm. for shit that the tires hit and bounce. Right. So if you could set them up with some like pretty firm 7100s, and I think you'd be pretty good. Some like 360 over 80s or something. Mm-hmm. Or like maybe 275s or 80s. Because I don't know if you want that much rebound. Yeah. Um, I am kind of, speaking of airing down tires or airing up tires, I am kind of excited to <laughs> try driving the Samurai on the street oh, yeah. fully aired up. <laughs> yeah. Our, we didn't realize it. We just didn't. Dude, we're, why are we like this? I don't we know. Just, 
didn't check the tire pressure. And when we test drove the Samurai on the road, it had 11 PSI in the tires. I was like, this thing is fucking gutless. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it still is. It but. is. <laughs> yeah, but I got it to like 52, 53 miles an hour, like flat out and forth up the hills around here. <laughs> I was like, fucking this thing can't do freeway speeds. But I think maybe at 35, it like could. So that might be good. Maybe get to the next town. I know. We're thinking about taking it to cruise night. Mm-hmm. I think we can. I think we can too. Especially mm-hmm. with the power steering. The power yeah. steering and two-wheel drive on the road is fantastic. Yes. It's in four-wheel drive that it's yeah. terrible turning radius. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think we can totally take it to cruise night. Yeah. Be super fun. Yeah. I totally get it now because uh, the customer I'm building the Nissan for has like six Samurais. Only, <laughs> only one of them runs. Um, cause he's like me, but now he has like a turbo diesel Samurai on Toyota axles. And I've always been like, this thing's super cool, but I didn't get it. Like, it's literally like the most capable vehicle on the planet. I know <laughs> it really is, man. Also, it is a crowd pleaser on oh, the trail yeah. because <laughs> Jeep guys don't like Toyotas, but Jeep guys think Samurais are funny. <laughs> Toyota guys don't like Jeeps. But they think samurais are funny. Yes. Everybody loved it. People were like, what? Samurai? Just cheering you on. Yep. yep. They're I like, know. how was that thing? I had a bunch of people in like really built, like solid axle Toyotas. We're like, this thing gets stuck at all? I was like, fuck no. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> this thing's a champ. <laughs> I know, man. Yeah. It just goes. It just goes. I would totally do it all over again right now. It's yeah. so fun. Yeah. I forgot to mention one of the highlights of the trip, Jenna driving through Soup Bowl. Yeah, Jenna did Soup Bowl in there, Ford, which is pretty rad. It was, it's so fun to watch it that is, thing. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah, it's just a cool truck. It's nice. I mean, Leaf Springs won the West. Those Leaf Springs are pretty flexy too. I don't, mm-hmm. I have, I'm assuming he has 63s in the rear or something, mm-hmm. or it's like a, I think he said it's like a, I don't remember now. A Skyjacker pack that you took some leaves out of. Uh, the oh, thing's okay. great, though. Mm-hmm. I want to see it on 49s. Maybe go up in the winter and do some snow recoveries with them. Yeah, I think that's it'd be fun. winter outfit. I think it'd be fun to do, like, two snow recoveries with them. And that's it. And that's it, yeah. <laughs> and then not do another one. Well, because... you could do that in, like, the morning for them. and Dude. then. Yeah, they had some times over the winter where they were just like, I've been up 40 hours right now. I know. Like we had to stop recovering people because it was unsafe for me to drive because I haven't slept in two days. Dude. Insane. It blows my mind that they have that many people calling them and they just started their business less than two years ago. Yeah. So before them, people would just leave their vehicles until the snow melted. Mm-hmm. I guess Mammoth was just like littered with abandoned vehicles in the snow. <laughs> it's insane. I can't believe it. I know. Yeah. They're good, though. And they're, like, actually safe, unlike the other famous recovery guy (laughs) who people want to emulate because he gets YouTube views. And I'm like, oh, God, dude. No, yeah. They're safe. They've done trainings at, like, CHP and the sheriffs. And, Mm -hmm. yeah. They're great. Yeah. They're really good. I'm happy for them. And Craig wheeled his 2021 JL. Which is pretty cool. It's got like a little 2.0 turbo thing on yeah. it. Got 20 miles per gallon out of it. I know, like, Mr. Environmentalist. I know. I mean, he's only on 33s, which I think next year he'll have 37s. He wants to go up, I know. Dude, the, the underside of that thing is brutal. 
And he is a former Toyota guy, so yeah, it's very it's, different. It was kind of cool because the last time me and Craig did the Rubicon together was 10 years almost to the day. Yep. Um, and he was in a pickup and I was in a pickup solid <laughs> axle, you know. Right, right. Toyota shit. Mm-hmm. I I have to say, I think he had the biggest challenge of the group getting oh, yeah. the Rubicon. Yeah, it took some skill. Mm-hmm. Um, he did really good, though. Also, he was by himself. He didn't yep. have a relief driver. Yeah, or like a dedicated spotter or anything. Yeah, I mean, we all just kind of jumped out when we were like, oh, Craig might need some help here. He only had like one really bad point where he had like two tires in the air. <laughs> yeah. And he almost rolled off like a cliff. But besides that, no, he's great. I oh, mean, yeah. He's still champ. He still has like the line choice stuff he had before. Now we just got to get all our other friends on the trail, too. I know. Yeah. We got to get all our Colorado friends out. Yep. I think they'll be kind of like, this is it. But also it's beautiful too, though. It's just, yeah. Everything combined. The scenery is part of it. Yeah. It's it's not. Great place to camp. You can get to the lake, camp on the lake, swim around. mm -hmm. You can hike if you want to. You can wheel. It's gorgeous. It's interesting, challenging or not. Yeah. I'd love to go when it's like in the eighties mm-hmm. and bring a kayak and camp at buck for a couple of days. And I, I think they stock buck, but they mm-hmm. also stock rock hound or rock bound, which is just above it. And it's like two to three times the size. Oh, what? Yeah. It's huge. Me and Craig hiked up to it 10 years ago. Oh my God. Yeah. It's super cool. Yeah. It would be cool to bring a couple of fishing rods. Mm-hmm. Catch dinner. Yeah. I mean, we might need two samurais for this to two samurais, yeah. <laughs> load all the fishing gear. You need a samurai for your samurai. That's right. They're yeah. pack animals. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise they get, uh, they get sad. It's like getting a donkey for your horse. Oh, same thing. Yeah. I need a companion samurai. You need a companion samurai. Everybody does. <laughs> and then we could also split up the gear, which would be nice. It would be nice to split gear. Yeah. Cause there's not enough room. And you know, they were, like we said, we brought the fridge, we brought the pack outs, we brought our air mattress, our double sleeping bag. Those That's, things are kind of bulky. The sleeping bag is kind of bullshit. We have to have that air mattress, though. It's the only way I sleep comfortably oh, out no, there. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. Those are the things that we're not yeah. compromising. And on. my med kit is pretty big. And we had mm-hmm. five gallons of water. We didn't have to bring a gas can. We used like seven gallons of gas that in four days. was weird to me. Yeah. yeah. I was like, no gas can. Yeah. But it was totally fine. No. It still has like a quarter tank mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, we ran the tw- trail twice out mm-hmm. and back. My med kit is pretty big, too. I'm thinking about maybe condensing into a smaller one. Yeah. Because I was thinking about it, and I was like, I'm not really sure that I know how to do some of the stuff that I have in it anymore. Like I have, like, IOs and surgical crikes and stuff like that, and I'm like, I'm not really confident that I could do that right now because I'm so far removed from the training. Right. Like, if something were to happen, like, would, and you needed to do that, would you do it? No, because I'd be worried about getting sued. Unless okay, it was one of us. we should take it out, yeah. If it was one of us, I would. Oh, okay. Well, we don't have life insurance on each other I know we so. need life insurance. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if we had life insurance, then I really wouldn't. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we should go through it. And then so, you can refresh me on, you know, the tourniquets and, like, the things that, like, I really need to remember how to use. Yeah, there's not much. Here. Just, like, tourniquets. I think I got EpiPen in there. It's still probably expired. Um, doing Israeli bandage, you can like do a splint, but you don't really need to know how to do that. We can go through it, condense while you 
refresh my memory on how yeah. to use these things. The other thing too is that like uh, none of my shit is like in the package because my like biggest pet peeve is people that have emergency trauma products and then they leave them in the stupid slippery plastic package. And then as soon as your hands get covered in blood, you can't open anything. Mm -hmm. So like with an Israeli bandage, I'll open the outer package, take the inner package. And then I put surgical tape on it in like really easy to open tabs. And only I would even before I would use like glow in the dark ink to mark where they are too, because like you would not believe how dumb people get when they get stressed out, especially a lot of dudes who have like never it. dealt with trauma before the second you start seeing blood or you can see like the inside parts of someone dude, it's like, you really is what's that saying where it's like you fall back on your like highest level of training or your lowest level of training or something. Right, right. But it's like that. It's like you have dudes who have gone through months of medic school mm-hmm. who get so like panicky and jittery and nervous that they can barely apply a tourniquet, which is something that you require of like the infantry dudes who are dumb. So, <laughs> you know, it's bad. And yeah. so it's like even something as simple as like a needle chest decompression becomes complicated. Cause you're like, fuck second and third intercostal space, like midpoint of the clavicle. Blah, and then you panic and you like, don't put it in right. Or you don't, I, um, I saw one case where a dude did needle chest decompression, but you didn't like remove the mm-hmm. fucking thing out of it. So it couldn't actually like let air in and out. Oh, geez. And dude showed up, just fully collapsed lung. He had like tension pneumothorax. I was like, yeah. Oh, sick. Yeah. My biggest fear would be to like cause more damage. <laughs> nah. Pretty much you just got to do stuff. <laughs> just do stuff. Just do stuff. Yeah. Ew. But also do no harm. That's the other problem too with some like, some of these fucking overland med kits have way too much shit in them. Like really complicated stuff that you're going to mess up or they will like in order to make it seem like the med kit should be worth more money. All the drugs are called by like their UK name. So they're like, Oh, this med kit has paracetamol, which um, is, it's like fucking Tylenol or something. Mm. I forget like Tylenol or ibuprofen or something. I don't actually remember. See, this is how long it's been. Isn't that bad? Yeah. I used to teach these classes. I and know. now I can barely remember. I know. And you did it for shit. years. Yep. Yeah. I was like certified to teach them. Mm-hmm. That's why you have to like refresh this stuff, which is why we should, we should mm-hmm. go through it. That's a good it's idea. Like, it's like with handguns too. Mm-hmm. Some people carry around like a normal, like semi-automatic handgun. And I'm like, how often do you train with it? Do you know how to clear like a double feed? Do you know how to do like a whatever immediate or remedial action on it or blah, blah, blah. That's why like if I ever am in a situation where I feel like I need a handgun, I'd probably be most comfortable having a revolver because then at least you just yes. pull the trigger and something happens. And That's if it doesn't, why I like that one. Yeah. And if it doesn't, you just pull the trigger again. Exactly. It's very simple. And yeah. when you're in a situation where you're stressed out and fumbling and don't know what to do, like mm-hmm. that's, yeah. And there's no safety on it. Mm-hmm. So you can't fuck it up. Yeah, just point and shoot. <laughs> yeah, literally. Um, <laughs> and it's uh, that one's a three fifty seven, but we keep thirty eight special hollow points in it, which have like way less recoil, and they're great. Yeah, they're really good for penetration and everything. So she said. Um, but yeah, and like, what if you get a, like a double feed? Is my biggest concern, or like a um, the casing doesn't eject, and then it tries to feed into that. Mm-hmm. Um, I. Some of my friends like make their own handguns. So I'm used to just like <laughs> stuff being horrible, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. Same thing with like, uh, 
M4 AR builds you're kind of asking for issues. And then you got to sit there and be like, wait, what do I do? Slap, pull, observe, release, tap, squeeze. Mm-hmm. And then if you don't have a forward assist too, you can't tap. So it's like, what are you going to do? You know? But I probably haven't shot a gun in like three years, honestly. I was going to say, we should go out and do that. Yeah. I got to refamiliarize myself with a couple different weapon systems. Mm-hmm. Um, there is one weapon system I've familiarized myself with. The thieves. I knew it. <laughs> you can't tell what I'm flexing. Yeah. <laughs> honestly, I, I'm not going to complain because I always say that when I'm in the shop working, my best tool is Ian <laughs> yeah, and his muscles. <laughs> yeah. I've started doing my powerlifting routine again. Cause I have this dream of like maybe going to powerlifting meets again. And really I've realized that it's just fantastic for mechanical work. Oh my like, God. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, the circumference of my forearms is insane because I got, these giant DeWalt professional angle grinders that you have to use with two hands. They have this like weird pistol grip thing on them and they're like a foot long because for a while I was angle grinding with one hand because with the small ones you can. And I was like, I'll get the longer ones and then I won't do that because I know that's super dangerous. I'm not like I wear iPro there's guards on all my stuff, blah, blah, blah. But I've just trained myself to be able to use that one one-handed I now. Know, so like man. the best forearm workout you can do is OSHA violations, <laughs> like by far. And it helps too, because I was able to just pick up the samurai transfer case. It's like weird muscle groups though, that you only need doing this kind of work that aren't useful in anything else. Hey man, if you're working out so that you can do your job, that's great. Yeah. You could do my job. That's great. Yeah. Your job. <laughs> Yeah, you've been really killing it on the website and stuff, though. Yeah, so we just uh, redid the website. I like, I do, I am very pleased with it. It looks a lot better now. It's a lot more professional, too. And we're also working on having live inventory. So now yeah. if you go to stuff, it'll say, like, oh, we have less than five of these in stock, or these are in stock, or over the next week we'll be adding, like, oh, this has this long of a lead time or this has exactly. this long. So that way there isn't that guess because you never really know when you're going on these websites. And there are some websites for, like, major companies that don't have life inventory, which mm-hmm. is frustrating as a buyer. And, you know, with things going on the way that they are in the world and the supply chain issues and, and all of that, it's just – it's so frustrating to try to buy anything or plan anything. So it's nice to be able to – give a little more information when we can. Yeah, totally. And it's like, it's the bare minimum too. Cause a lot of these companies have just grown complacent and mm-hmm. it's like after COVID, everyone is still using COVID as an excuse. I was mm-hmm. like, dude, you guys had this problem before COVID. Like it's gotten worse, but this is clearly, it was an issue before. Right. And how have you been proactive to solve this? And us as a small business, we can't really do much. Like with this, our like biggest product is security mounts. Mm-hmm. We'll, if we have issues, then with a raw material, we'll order double that amount next time. And then right. we won't have an issue where we run out of it. Or if we're projecting for three months of sales and we're like, oh, shoot, we ran out of this this time, we'll project six months or a year of sales. Exactly. And it's too easy. You just, like, you should not have year long lead times on anything. That's, yeah, that's unacceptable. The problem is, is that it looks good from a um, profit point of view, short term, 
because then they can say like this year we took in this much and we spent this much. Mm. And then the guy who's been appointed to the head, they're like, wow, that's great. We've never had that big of a difference in like profit and expenditures before. And what isn't always realized in those charts is that you haven't expended that much because you have not fulfilled those products. You've right. simply taken deposits on products. And it's also kind of like shady too. Like you don't want to end up like Pelfrey built where you're taking deposits on stuff, knowing you're going to get bankrupt right? and steal almost a million dollars from customers, stuff like that. If some of the big companies went under, you know, they'd be stealing hundreds of millions of dollars from customers. There's some companies that do a couple million dollars a day in sales. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, even as a small business, that would be huge. If we went under and we just took everyone's money for all our outstanding orders, it'd be horrible. Yeah. I don't, yeah, no. It's super shady. But all the uh, every payment that someone uses on our website is fully protected, too. So that it yeah. literally wouldn't happen with us. Right. I don't accept, like, I don't accept people sending money as friends and family. Um, everything's legit. Mm-hmm. I, I pay taxes begrudgingly. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking taxes, dude. Oh, I know, man. <sighs> this will be a long podcast. Yeah, we don't need to get into <laughs> okay. that. But we we are we're still working on the website. We're going to add a lot more informational content, tech articles. Um, yeah, I'm working mm-hmm. on an article on the difference between 9200 series and 8125 series Bilstein coilovers because um, I really like Bilstein's product, but they don't always do a good job of explaining what they're selling, which I think is one of their big issues. Yes, and yeah. There is definitely, I think, some complacency there. However, their product is great. Like the quality of the product is absolutely top of the line Mm -hmm. as far as dampers go. And some companies don't carry them because they haven't done a good job kind of explaining to them. And because the, what would you call it? Like brand, like recognition or trust or something. Mm -hmm. They haven't done a good job cultivating that. And so other companies have been able to come in and kind of get them. But also there are a lot of other other companies that have great stuff too. Like I like Fox's uh, universal internal bypass stuff. It's really cool, even though it necks down the main piston a lot. So it's not, I mean, just speaking totally objectively, it's not as good as the 8100 series internal bypass stuff, but that's not offered in a universal product. Right. And also it kind of doesn't make sense to offer it in a universal product because like the, um, the JCO is very short. So if you have a motion ratio close to one to one, it, it wouldn't really work. You'd have mm-hmm. like a one inch bump stop mm-hmm. inside. Whereas with the Fox one, you kind of have like a second cylinder that you can drill holes and put different reeds in, and then you can kind of tune the different zones. So mm-hmm. that's a little better. Um, I don't remember what I was talking about even. Just more information. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and Fox has that recirculating reservoir thing. I like that too. So you can have like another bypass zone that recirculates the fluid through the reservoir. Cause one issue, um, if you're not using like the full stroke, like let's say a washboard is a great example of this in a washboard. It's technically moving very quickly, but the actual shaft itself is not moving very far in mm-hmm. and out of the shock. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like deadheading the fluid. Mm-hmm. So you might superheat some fluid and push it just in and out a little bit. Mm-hmm. What happens is you're going to have pockets of cold fluid in the reservoir where it's cooled easier. And that hot fluid is just going to push back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But with the recirculator, it's actually forcing the fluid to go into the cooler dongle 
and then force it back into the bottom of the shock. Okay. So it makes like a complete circle. Mm -hmm. So it's completely forcing it through. So I think it's supposed to really help with temps. I know when they first came out with it, they had a bunch of advertisements about how much cooler stuff was. And then I haven't seen it on that much stuff for a while. And then last year it came back and a bunch of the Fox sponsored dudes had the recirculators. I'm interested to see. But I think a lot of the shit is going electric. Like all the trophy trucks and everything, they're all electrically controlled now. Interesting. (laughs) And it's kind of interesting because if you can write an algorithm that's good enough, you can just give it some inputs. Mm-hmm. You can give it like yaw, um, speedo. You can do some kind of like G-force sensor to steering angle, a couple other things. And then you can just tell it, you can almost make it like self-learning and just be like, make this the least bouncy as possible. Mm-hmm. And then you drive on that for a hundred hours and then it has a pretty good program where it adjusts the valvings and those servos can adjust the valving independently, like a, I don't know, hundred times a second or something. Hmm. So they can know if you've like jumped the truck and you're about to nosedive it. They can also do travel sensors, which is really common. Actually, like the new Dodge Ram 3500 has airbags in the back and it has a lift height sensor. And that way, when you hook up trailer, it automatically levels the rear of the vehicle. So you can use that same thing. It's actually really simple. It's like, I think it's a, is it a potentiometer? I think it's a potentiometer, like on a lever arm. Um, but you can take that input and then you know how much travel is used. You can tell it like exactly where the shock is in its travel, exactly your speed. It knows if you're airborne. It knows if you're in a whoop section, etc. And then you can do some like self-learning program on it. It's wow. almost like taking the Holly Terminator EFI self-learning engine management thing and applying it to your suspension. Mm. That's really cool. Yeah, it's pretty dope. So that's the way it's all going, which makes sense, too, because like a tune that's great off road is going to suck on road. It's going to be fucking right. Exactly. Yeah. And way too firm. So it's it's the only way to have the best of both worlds. Or you can put external adjusters on it. But honestly, every single customer I've seen with external adjusters does not understand how to use them and maybe just makes their shocks worse. Like every time I have a shock in here with external adjusters, one is like fully adjusted all the way in. I'm like, what the fuck are people doing? <laughs> <laughs> I had one dude like $8,000 worth of shocks on his truck. And he had those like mid-range adjusters. It was some off-brand. that, um, And they were all fully bottomed out. I was like, bro, you got like $8,000 worth of jewelry. <laughs> like, yeah. with, the mid- with that specific style of mid-range, you're cutting off like all the oil flow. Like you don't have shocks. I'm like, why Jesus. would you do this? Yeah. So there's some good parts to letting customers do stuff. And there's some bad parts like always with everything. Yep. But with the samurai, we'll just put some two inch smooth body That's reservoirs like on it. it. It's very simple. It needs bum stops too. Bad. <laughs> I think I'm, we could put um, shaft bumps on it. There are bump stops that go around the shaft of the shock. It's like what comes on some of the coilovers. Those okay. Orange foam guys. I think we could just do that. That'd be fine because it weighs so little. It's yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't even think we need like limit straps too. I don't think it'll pull the shock apart because it's a samurai. It's very little. It is very little. But normally you do. The seventy one hundreds are interesting because both the piston and the like main seal assembly 
Well, first of all, you can't like replace the seals individually. You put like an entire new seal head into it, mm -hmm. but both of those are held in with C clips. So like normally when you're taking a shock apart, you would just pull the shaft all the way out. Or like if it gets stuck, you pull the shaft out and like try and hit the top a little bit. If you do that, you're just going to break it. Mm. But I, I wonder if that's because dudes who are buying 7100s aren't using limit straps. And so it helps with top outs to have both things held in by C clips. And then you have like a second layer of prevention to it. Mm -hmm. But it seems like there'd be easier ways to do that. So I don't know. Anyways, what were we talking about? Man, um, well, we started talking about the website. <laughs> oh, yeah. The website should be really good. We're going to have a bunch of tech articles, too, a bunch of objective information. I think I will finally post my suspension encyclopedia, too. So that way it's open mm -hmm. source. You guys can access all the link calculations and mainly calculated center of gravity heights so that I don't have to listen to people saying you need 80% anti-squat. And then I'm like, what did you calculate your center of gravity height at? And they're like, mm -hmm. oh, I guessed. I'm like, yeah. well, <laughs> then none of none of the numbers matter. Like, just don't say anything then. <laughs> I, I would at least have the like, you know, I would know enough to be embarrassed if I was like, you need this much. But also it's a guess. But I'm sure of it. Like people on the Internet are so dumb. They're, and confident. Yeah. Confidently dumb. Confidently dumb. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, it's so common. Like, if I wasn't sure about something, I would be very insecure about that and not bring it up. Yeah. But there are a lot of people who just don't know shit about anything, and they just come in strong, man. Dude, especially shock valving. Mm -hmm. Dudes are like, you need this shim, then this shim, then this shim. And I'm like, dude, the shock valving will be different if the customer has seven inches of up travel or four inches of up travel. It's like, you're trying to say what shim it needs, and you don't even know that. What if he has <laughs> two inches of up travel? And they're just like, no, this is what I always use. It's like, uh, there was one guy who was like, all Tacoma corners use a 150 over 250 spring to match the corner weight. And I was like, well, but it depends on how much droop they have, right? And he's like, no, it's for the corner weight. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, he's a nice guy and he's definitely smarter than me. But in that moment, he was like, no, that's not true. And I was like, it's physics. <laughs> like, i don't know what to tell you bro i'm sorry <laughs> I, like you are a genuinely a smart dude you're smarter than me i know that for a fact but this is uh this is something i know wrong here yeah like you're just incorrect you have the wrong information but you're very confident about it so. <laughs> but then like a week later to his credit i was saying he's smart he was like i have to eat crow dude you were completely right. And that's yes. a smart person. Yes. We'll do that. Yep. Which is an example of someone who's very intelligent, who's mm -hmm. like not married to their ideas and they just want to know what is the truth. Yeah. That's how you expand your knowledge. That's how you get smarter. So, yeah. It's like me. I don't even believe some of the things I said at the beginning of this podcast anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows that. Apparently, that's our only review on iTunes. <laughs> What? Yeah, some guy was like, I love this podcast because Ian doesn't believe the things he said at the beginning by the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, the guy who was at the Relentless Fab booth oh, with the Jeep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's good. He's pretty funny. Yeah. Which is true. <laughs> yeah. That's accurate. I don't, even, I don't even believe that I don't believe what was at the beginning anymore. <laughs> if I'm being honest. Now I think I do believe it. <laughs> 
All right, man. Okay, yeah, we gotta go. <laughs> we're gonna watch the Bob's Burgers movie. Yeah, we love we're gonna Bob's make burgers, burgers yeah. to watch it. I'm not really that hungry though. I'm fucking starving, so fix your attitude. I'm sorry. <laughs> now I'm in trouble. Okay, uh, yeah, anything to close it out with, babe? Um, everybody should get a samurai. Yes, get a samurai and buy stuff from us. Oh yeah, that did. for the samurai. <laughs> They're so fun. Honestly, you should get a samurai. Yep. Before they're like twenty thousand dollars. There are a couple of good ones locally for like four grand. I'm like they're going up though. I know. I've quick. also seen some for fourteen grand. Some so people, it's just insane. I don't know what the fuck some people do for a living, but some people just got money. Yeah. They're willing to buy whatever. Fucking, we were at Bilstein earlier mm-hmm. and our shock rep was showing us an FJ eighty. That sold for a hundred and forty thousand yeah, dollars. I know. On bring a trailer, fucking like, insane. FJ80s aren't good. No. They're radius Why arms. Not? The axles are tiny. They get eight miles per gallon. They make no power. They mm-hmm. have massive blind spots. It's, they burn oil. It's the whole how does it look on the outside thing. I know. Mm-hmm. God, they just are like cult classics. It's like some of the older like. Late 90s, early 2000s Toyotas, too. Mm-hmm. People are like, yeah, they're, this is the best generation. And I'm like, uh, the ball joints are upside down. The rear suspension geometry is horrible. The front end geometry is horrible. Even the long travel kits, you're lucky to get 12 inches of travel out of them, which is like, it's depressing. Um, they have a seven and a half inch front differential. It's a, a, the same size differential as a Samurai. They make 192 <laughs> horsepower unless they're supercharged, in which case they have to take 91 and then they make 205 horsepower and make weird noises and then also blow up and the cabs are cramped. The automatic transmission robs like three miles per gallon, which is important because they start out getting 15 and then they go to getting 12. It's like they're <laughs> so bad. There's semi-float rear eight-inch rear axles, the same rear axle they've been using since 1979, which you can also get on a Tacoma in 2022 with drum brakes in the back. Still, <laughs> is the only manufacturer you can buy a truck with drum brakes on. All right, you went into your rant again. Let's uh, let's wrap this up. Okay, all right. I love you guys. I also love you guys. Bye.